Hi, everyone. This is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast, and I'm Alicia Halliday, the Chief Science Officer of the Autism Science Foundation. Last week, I reported about a new genetic study demonstrating the female protective effect. That is, there is something protecting girls against an ASD diagnosis, and that's why there's so many more boys diagnosed than girls. Well, this week, I pretty much want to steal from a recent review about the differences in autism between girls and boys that was published late last year. It's under a paywall. I wish you could all read it, but instead I'm going to summarize it for you. It pieces together all the individual findings that I've been reporting on in the last year and puts them into context. Thank goodness someone is doing that. Of course, I try in the end of the year summary, but this particular paper focuses on the sex difference topic and really gets into the nuances about diagnosis. The authors are Meng Chuan Lai and Peter Zatmari, both at the University of Toronto. They're both clinicians who see girls and boys and men and women with autism all the time and have closely followed the literature and have published previously on the topic. In other words, want to know about females with ASD? Ask one of them or ask Dr. Lai or Dr. Zatmari. They know all about it. Before we start, I want to make sure everyone knows this summary is an explanation about the bits and pieces of data. It should not explain or replace your own experiences, which I would also like to hear about if you send me a note. So as we know, there are at least three times more boys diagnosed than girls with ASD, but it could be as high as four. Those differences depend on who you ask, how you're counting the numbers, and what you're accounting for in those numbers. No matter how you cut it or even account for under-recognition or differences in the features of ASD, there are still more males diagnosed than females. Studies have shown a female protective effect, but that does not mean that the protective effect can't affect how symptoms present, even within a diagnosis, or influence the features of ASD in females. Under-recognition of females with ASD may account for some, but not all, of the difference in diagnosis between males and females. So what is part of this under-recognition or just basic differences in features between males and females with ASD? Now, these differences could be a result of sex and gender-related factors that affect the behavioral presentation of the individual. It does not mean that a diagnosis would change, but there should be a recognition that the presentation of symptoms may be different. There may be differences at some ages, but not others. And also, we should appreciate contextual biases, that is, the way symptoms present in different contexts. Sex differences in the core symptoms of ASD should be made rather than just the diagnostic status. When looking at the cutoffs on standardized instruments like the autism diagnostic interview and the social communication questionnaire, there are really no differences in cutoffs for diagnosis between boys and girls. Boys and girls may be diagnosed similarly using those instruments. There may be differences then in the scores themselves. They both reach cutoff, but they really have differences beyond cutoff in the scores in different modes like repetitive and restricted behavior and social communication behavior. This makes sense because most studies use those that are already diagnosed. They unfortunately then exclude those who don't have an official diagnosis but may hover in that vicinity. 
Now, compared to males with ASD, females tend to show reduced repetitive and stereotyped behaviors and interests, but more self-injurious and compulsive behaviors and sensory challenges. Studies like the baby sibling studies that include those who have symptoms but don't meet the full criteria do show that there are some differences between boys and girls on things like the Mullen score, which is like a developmental cognitive quotient, rather than autism per se. But then again, here's another thing. What about rather than autism per se, what about the co-occurring conditions and features within autism, like internalizing behaviors or executive functions? Here, results are mixed. Sometimes you read a study that say boys and girls with ASD are the same, and sometimes that they're actually different. So clearly we need more research. What the research has really shown is that the difference between girls and boys with ASD on repetitive and restrictive behaviors are in fact dependent on age, language level, and intellectual ability. Boys and girls in toddlerhood actually show few differences, and this is evidenced in both clinician impression as well as actual scores on standardized instruments. One study, which is the all-important longitudinal study, which follows kids from two to four years to six years old, found that boys with ASD were more likely to have intense autistic symptoms and a stable trajectory over time. But girls had less intense symptoms with an improvement over time. Again, this is toddlerhood and early school age. This is when it's very, very hard to see differences very, very early on. The results suggest that symptoms may attenuate or get smaller in girls compared to boys with ASD in preschool. On the other hand, Girls also start out in general with better adaptive behavior, but that progresses or worsens as they get older if they have an ASD diagnosis. That's because as girls get older in pre-adolescence and adolescence, things change. The deficits in girls with autism seem to actually peak in adolescence, which is when social pressures may really start to ramp up and may explain why girls are typically diagnosed later. The idea that some females with autism or mild autistic characteristics have increasing social difficulties and other challenges as they get older, even more so than boys do, has been shown in the literature over and over again. This pre-adolescence phase is really tough. My two girls are going through it now, and it's nothing I wish on anyone. There's pre-puberty and social problems. And when I hear from young adult women with autism who are verbal and have above average intelligence, they tell me that they were always considered weird, quirky, awkwardly social, but they didn't really get a diagnosis until someone in their family was diagnosed or they saw a psychiatrist for an ever-growing symptom of things like anxiety and depression. And when I say lighter diagnosis, though, on the whole... It's not a decade difference between boys and girls with ASD. In the literature, it's a matter of months to a year, but it still is a later diagnosis. Another complication is that general interests or specifically general circumscribed interests, which is a feature of repetitive and restrictive behaviors, are actually based on sex, which may influence what they are. The reported differences may have sex-related biological bases, but more importantly, they also may reflect influence of gender norms and gendered social-cultural contexts shaping someone's autistic behavior. 
So narrow interest in some autistic girls and women may involve things like people and animals rather than objects. And they more may likely be seen by parents as kind of like random stickers, pens, whatever's going on in the in the course of the girl's life in general. If the intensity, exclusivity, and functional impact of their interests were ignored and shadowed by what is considered gender-typical interests, this may mean that these repetitive behaviors may be overlooked. And also the way females with ASD speak may also be different. Within an autism diagnosis, Girls with ASD use more cognitive words. For both males and females, autistic children's storytelling have been found to contain fewer cognitive process words like think, know, understand, and realize than those without ASD. These words used have been argued to show worse social cognition. But but then boys and girls with autism also show the same use of the words like cat, dog, penguin, and bike. Within an autism diagnosis, the fact that girls do use a little bit more of these cognitive words may reflect differences in the way girls with autism present. Standard measures of social attention and social communication may not be capturing what's relevant for girls. Girls in general are just more social. This has been shown in the sex difference literature for decades. Even girls with autism show eye contact, well, at least more so than boys with ASD, and they actually look more to faces than boys do. So they show less differences to typical girls than ASD boys show to typical boys. There's also a sex difference in language so that girls in general show better language. They put a higher value on friendship, and they show higher social motivation, again, consistent with that word use of of cognitive words like thinking and feeling. This gets to the issue of what's called camouflaging. Camouflaging refers to compensating for these inherent social communication difficulties by masking the appearance of autism. It's actually been scientifically defined as the difference between how a person with autism feels inside versus how they appear on the outside to their behavior. And there is evidence for camouflaging. It's been linked a little bit to the difference in diagnosis. It is higher in girls than boys, and it's mentally exhausting and takes a huge psychological toll. I don't think that it can explain all of the sex difference within autism, but it is there. Finally, there's a big issue around sex differences in ASD that hasn't really been addressed, and that's bias. And it's not just, but it it does include, oh, he's a boy, so he's more likely to have autism. That's a bias. But it's also the way that teachers, parents, and clinicians interpret girls' behavior. Social avoidance, for example, may be seen as shyness for girls. Also, sex biases and other disorders may be at play. For example, girls or females are more likely to show symptoms of anxiety and have anxiety disorders. So clinicians and parents and teachers may see their behavior as being anxious, not autistic. I kind of mentioned this earlier, but diagnostic methods may need to be reconsidered, not totally changed. For example, when some of the questions on the ADI are presented, they are, does the boy or the girl look at wheels of the car or do they fidget with wheels of the car rather than playing with the car itself? Some of these queries could be changed or adapted to, does she arrange shells or dolls in a row? Does she obsess over dolls' hair rather than playing with the dolls as toys? 
Gender expectancy may play a role in the diagnosis of girls, but still, again, even taking that into account, there is still significant differences in the diagnosis of males and females with ASD. What I didn't get into in this podcast is transgender features, and that's not because I don't think it's important. I think it is important, but there are so many issues around it that I think it deserves its own podcast. I actually did produce a podcast on gender issues and transgender issues last year, but it deserves a refresh. I agree. If you're a transgender and have an autism diagnosis, come at me by emailing me or posting a message on the podcast comments. Just say, please contact me. You don't have to leave your name. I would love to understand and hear your specific experiences. I agree with Drs. Lai and Zatmari in that what we know about autism, we understand mostly from boys because there's more of them to study that needs to change. And that's one last important point. We need more girls to participate in research. Thank you guys for listening this week. Next week, Megan Miller from UC Davis, who is who I call the queen of the overlap between ADHD and ASD, will talk to us and you about what we know about the overlap, the symptoms of ADHD and ASD, and what this means for intervention and recognition of ASD. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.